Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Acts chapter 3. If you are new, my name is Darren. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad to be with you teaching. Last week was empowered. For those of you that are, weren't here, you, you missed out. I'm sorry. Uh, all weekend long, we had amazing things happen. Our friends from the UK joined us again, and we witnessed uh, the power of God. And some of you are new to church, and when people say phrases like the power of God or um, rocked or the time was amazing, you're, you, you don't get what I'm talking about. Well, I'll just let you know some of the things that happened over Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning here. Um, there were physical healings, people that came in with physical conditions, that, and they left without them. That's cool. Everyone's like, no, that's not true. Yeah, that's true. It happened. Some of you are here. Uh, Lots and lots of people uh, came up for prayer and experienced emotional healing. Uh, That that might be, oh, that's easy. People are emotional. No, 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 no. Words of knowledge, um, which is, for those of you that are taking notes, are gifts of the Spirit given to the church to strengthen, encourage, and edify the church. God gives us gifts so that we can be strengthened and encouraged, but also so our lives can point to Jesus. Um, and words of knowledge were given. So strangers playing, praying for strangers, one, you know, people have words about their lives, specific things that make no sense in any reality whatsoever, except for the reality of prayer, because those praying believe that there's a God who will speak to them and teach them how to minister and help us pray for the people we're praying for. That's what prayer ministry is. Effective prayer ministry, I suppose. And people with words of knowledge uh, were, were hit. And hit is a strong word to use. It should be, were, they were ambushed by the love of God. And God unpacked their lives in a moment and brought healing to their emotions. Because we all carry baggage here. You all walk in with, with baggage for all the years you've been alive. Broken families, broken relationships, painful pasts, it doesn't, you know, stuff you've done, stuff that's been done to you. And we come here um, in a contested space that we try to create as a sacred space. And sometimes God interacts through a positive word like, you are not a wingman. What? Not a wingman? Why would anyone pray that? But for whatever reason, for that specific person, they receive the word and it's like their life is open and God is pouring down his love into that person and they can't help but weep and and experience exactly what they need to experience for that moment and experience emotional healing. Because they thought they were a number two and God's called them to be a number one. Do you know what I'm talking about? So that happened all over the place through ordinary men and women who have no special formula that have no real, you know, um, strength or, or, or fruit. It's about gifts given to them for the sake of the for the sake of others. So, empowered was an incredible experience. People um, did get healed emotionally, physically. Um, words, gifts were used. People, I got emails. People experienced the love of God for the first time. That's powerful. When you experience the love of the Father for the first time, it will change your life. People experience. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit for the first time. And I realize this. The reason we do Empowered is to recenter our church because a lot of churches um, are really, and I've been a part of this, our church in our history has been very comfortable with programs. 
very comfortable with, let's just keep doing, you know, whatever's, whatever it is that uh, works. I've been to conferences. I've spoken. I've, I've spoken. Um, I've preached at conference, conferences, large conferences, massive conferences, actually. And you, not that that puffs me up. I've spoken large conferences to about 10 people. So um, just to let you know where I'm coming from. I was on the main stage. Um, just so you know, I'm humbling myself, all right, because I could let you believe that I was much bigger than I am. I'm not. And I spoke there, and everyone in that room, they're pastors of other churches. They just want the model of what works to grow churches, to get people in seats. And I'm just convicted that if the people of God actually follow Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit, a movement will happen. Generations to come will be impacted by how we live today. So empowered is that. It's basically saying, God, here's your church. It's yours. Do with us as you please. You with me? And that's a conviction I'm going to keep hopefully moving us back to. So every year they'll come out. Every year our friends with um, this model of ministry will come and encourage us to keep going for it. And that's what's happened. So stuff's happened. We want to make it normal. But today I just want to reiterate the point of this whole experience last week. That God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. If you're here and you're checking out the church, God wants you to follow him with your entire life so that he can empower you to do extraordinary things in your everyday, ordinary life. That is the theme of the book of Acts. Whether you are a stay-at-home mom, whether you are a teacher, a student, an employer, an employee, whether you're 5 years old, 16 years old, or 85 years old, God wants to fill you with his life, his life-breathing spirit, so that you can do extraordinary things in your everyday, ordinary lives. Can you believe that? Well, you are much better at saying, what's up? <laughs> so I'm going to do my best. To, for those of you that don't believe me, to prove it to you today. Will you be open? Let's do it then. Okay, Acts 3. We finished, uh, two weeks ago, we finished Acts 2. I, we, sh- we looked at the characteristics of the church, that the early church, and when we talk about church, we're not talk- talking about buildings. We're talking about the collection of people that say, Jesus is Lord, us, people, flesh and blood, names. I want to reiterate this. Man, I have all this extra stuff for you. 11.15, you are so blessed right now. <laughs> 915's missing out. You missed, at the 915 last week, a woman was laughing hysterically. Her name's Alyssa, and she's doing a lyrics in the back. And some of you are at the 915. And I had people come up to me, and they're, they're frustrated by that, or upset, or scared. Because um, there's a time where we call people to respond, and she was getting prayer, and her response was, Laughing. Why do I say Alyssa and why do I bring this story up? Well, I think you need to know that when we talk about the church, we're talking about people like Alyssa. And I was okay with her laughing, even though she interrupted me from giving this amazing prophetic word in the moment. Um, (laughs) But if you know Alyssa's story like I do, I was blessed to watch a woman who's gone through some uh, suffering and pain. I was blessed to watch her laugh in the front of the church. That's what church is about. Yeah, so thank you, Alyssa. But here's the point. Some of you have had church experiences where you are just a faceless number in a crowd. That is not the church. 
It says in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. They did signs and wonders. uh, They had everything in common. They sold everything they had. They went to the temple courts, into homes, eating together, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number of those being saved. That's what the church looked like. And then Luke gives us another story following that. You with me? Acts 3, verse 1. Let's read this whole narrative together. Because the story itself is profound. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to teach this sermon through three different lenses. We're going to look at it through the crowd as observers, not knowing what's going on. We're going to look at it through the lens of Peter and John, through their lives. And we're going to look at it through the lame beggar. You with me? So put on your thinking caps, boys and girls. We're going to, I don't know what that's from. Um, Here we go. Just complete side note. Did anyone notice, uh, note that, Reading Rainbow got funded by Kickstarter. Anyone like Reading Rainbow here? Does anyone know, does anyone have no idea what I'm talking about? Yep. Okay. Context. Context. One. Oh man. We 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 need to go back to one service. Uh, I'm getting out of control. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man man, held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power and godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. Now, the fellow, now, fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God. So that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. This is where we begin 
with the crowd. Luke is telling us a story, and the crowd is on the outside watching this event unravel. Someone's healed uh, that is begging at the temple, and the crowd is wondering what the heck is going on. And Peter, again, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches a message and lets him know what's going on. Now, to backtrack, to tell the bigger story from the crowd's perspective, we have to understand that Luke is writing a theological narrative. Luke is the author of Acts. And this is a narrative not just to tell us what happened, but to tell us what it means today. So it's for us as well. So Luke begins part one of his big narrative in the Gospel of Luke. Okay, it's named after him. And he tells us the mission and life of Jesus. And we see that Jesus' primary message and ministry was about the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. That Jesus' message was about proclaiming that kingdom, manifesting and demonstrating that kingdom through healing, through forgiveness, through sitting and dining with tax collectors and prostitutes, people that should not sit at the feet of a rabbi, are sitting at the feet of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is all the tangible expression of God's way of life coming to earth once and for all through the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He does it through teaching about the kingdom, but also he does it through discipleship. So Luke tells the story of Jesus doing all these amazing things, but then he says, hey, uh, you 13-year-old kids, you're going to follow me and do what I did. And do what I do. You're going to be like me. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is the continuation of Jesus' ministry in the ancient culture. He expected every single person that would follow him to do exactly what he did. Not just to say the things he said. Not just to do what he, he did. But to be like him. That's what discipleship was in the ancient cultures. So the expectation in the book of Luke is that Jesus passed on his ministry, his message, and the manifestation of the kingdom reality, which is God's way of life here and now, marked by love, justice, peace, hope, joy, God's favor on all people. Are you with me? And then the story continues in the book of Acts, where we see these 13, 14, 15, 16, 18, 20-year-old kids, disciples. Peter was probably the oldest, just so you know, probably 20 years old. Some believe that John was 14. Disciple, okay? Now, your expectations of church leadership, let's just drop them, okay? Especially since I'm on stage. And, um, and the Acts is the story of Jesus' mission, mission continued, his presence continuing into the world through guys like Peter and John and James and these ordinary men and women that have no clue but once filled with the Spirit. Guess what they start doing? They start acting and teaching and doing what Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit. You with me? So the grand narrative, let's, let's go to this. Uh, so what happens is Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, heals somebody. And it's a sign and wonder. Okay? And a sign and wonder is what happens when something miraculous like a physical healing happens. It brings, and in fact, I believe all gifts work this way. But a sign and wonder, wonder point us to God. So when we hear about things like, oh man, someone was physically healed, or a word of knowledge, somebody knew something about me that I sh- they shouldn't have known, and what should we do with stuff like that? It, well, it should point us to Jesus. Because what happens is, this guy's healed, and Peter has to give an explanation for what just happened. And he says, why do you look at me? Why are you staring at me like as if I have power? Do you know me 50 days ago when I was denying Jesus? Do you remember? Peter's story, 
I shared it a couple weeks ago. We talked about Peter, the guy that put his foot in his mouth. He missed the point. He said the wrong thing. He, he, he was too late and he was, he was the wrong guy for the mission. Every single time he blew it. He denied Jesus before he died. And then he stands up and proclaims this message and is used. And now he's walking to the gate, to the temple, um, and goes into the gate called Beautiful and sees this guy, heals the guy through the power of the Holy Spirit, stands before another crowd and says, look, um, he says, why do you stay? It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And let's go to the next one. He says, I love this. You killed the author of life. The God who created you, who breathes life into your lungs, you murdered him. Now, did they actually murder him? No. But we stand on the opposite side. Unless we are following Jesus, we are on the opposite side of Jesus. There is no fence to straddle in Christianity. He's either Lord and Savior or he's not in your life. And the distance between he is and not comes with repentance. And so he calls them um, to repent. And 2,000 or a couple thousand people are saved because it says now at the end of the chapter 3 that 5,000 people are, are following Jesus. In a few days, the church goes to from 120 to 5,000 through the power of the Holy Spirit. God uses miracles and signs and wonders done through the power of Jesus' name through ordinary people praying prayers to bring people to faith. Every time there's a power encounter like this, confrontation of healing in the book, book of Acts, as big as this, there's always evangelism at the other end. God wants to use us for miracles to evangelize our neighbors and cities. Some of us don't believe that. We think evangelism is standing on a crowd, in front of a crowd, speaking to them. It's, it's that, yes. But he wants us in our ordinary life, I'll explain this in a moment, to be able to see healings and then point to people to Jesus. Because how do you argue with that? Hey, the guy that, that um, you've been watching that's begging for money, he's here inside, worshiping God. Um, we didn't do it. Jesus did it. How do you argue? You can see him. He's right here. How do you argue with that? Well, I don't really feel like it's right. It doesn't make sense. And those that say the earth is six days old, like, I can't believe the Bible. Okay, how do you argue with the testimony of a guy who was once not able to walk is now walking? Do you see the power of a sign of wonder? Are you with me? So here, uh, in the, okay, this is the other thing you need to know. The, the rest of the book, in the name of Jesus, is not a formula to get answered prayers. As some of you are laughing. How many of you are like, if I can just say it the right way, if I can just, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, or whatever it is, that he's going to do the thing. It's like a cosmic vending machine. Like, do, 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 do. no no prayer, okay, uh, no healing, or whatever it is. That's not how it works. In the ancient times, they believed that. They believed there was this superstition. And we read this a lot in, in um, the context of Ephesus. They had a book written in ancient uh, practice that if you, if you said the right deity's name in, with, in the right way, with the right words in front of it, that you could move these deities, these gods that had no interest in the, in the humanity at, at all. You could get them to move and, and actually cast spells on people or answer your prayers. If you could just sacrifice all of your money, and you, literally some people cut themselves, castrated themselves, all sorts of horrible things to move the gods. Jesus is not like that. Stop acting like he's a vending machine. That's not how it works. He loves you. You don't have to convince him. 
He desires it. You with me? So, for the crowd, what's going on here? A sign and wonder, and it points to Jesus, and here's the, here's the reality, that for everyone here, the first thing that miracles do, and this story reveals, is that salvation comes through Jesus alone. There is no other name that we are saved through. Salvation comes through Jesus alone. And our response to that, every time we confess Jesus as Lord, is repentance. And some of us think, oh, we need to stop sinning. That's true, yes. But repentance is changing directions. Turn away from that way of life, which you know is already harming you. Why don't you have to think twice about this? We know the destructive ways, ways that we've lived. How we've participated in destruction of ourselves. And in the chaos of the world, we have participated in the destruction of others. Repentance is turning from that and saying, no, you're Lord. May my life follow you. And then we get into what is called salvation. Salvation is not just believe in Jesus so that you can go somewhere else after you die. That's not what salvation means. For those of you that think that you've been sold a ticket so that one day when you die you have insurance, that's... That's not what salvation means biblically. In order to articulate that, I'm going to tell it through the lens of Peter and John and the lame beggar. Are you with me? So part one of our our story, miracles point to Jesus. Jesus, there's no other name greater than him, than his name, and salvation comes through him alone. Amen? Amen? What up? Oh, I'm preaching now. Let's do this. All right. Um, I had such good Father's Day present this morning. Like, woke up early. I was, you know, out the door at five. Came back after I had this message ready. And my wife had a, a basket of stuff for me and wrote a letter on behalf of my seven-month-old seven son. He has great grammar and syntax, by the way. I'm just, he's going to be something. Um, okay, so let's read the story again. That's what we'll do. Acts chapter 3. Let's go back there. Let's look at it through the lens of Peter and John. I want you to pay attention to them. Remember who Peter was. Right? And remember what's just happened. He's been filled with the Spirit. Verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A quick point on this before we continue. They are doing what they're already going to do. Or you could say they're doing what they ordinarily do. They're, they're doing their normal life. There was a 3 o'clock prayer at the temple every day, followed by, uh, except on Sabbath, followed by an evening sacrifice. They met in homes in the temple courts. So Peter and John are on the way to worship. They're just going to do what they've been doing this whole time. It's like going to get food at Ralph's. They're just, they're just doing their thing. You with me? Nothing special about it so far. Now, a man was lame from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked for money. How many of you have walked into Ralph's and been asked for money? Does it seem very normal? I mean, Luke is just, we can all put, put that into context. You're downtown going to Vons. Are you stopped by somebody who's asking for money? We've all had this experience before. Maybe some of us are the ones asking for money. When he saw, uh, Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get some money from them, is what it means. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then he takes him by the right hand and helps him up. 
So this is, this is uh, Peter and John's part of the story. So they're doing what they, or, they did. And here's a couple of observations for us, okay? A couple of observations about how God used this ordinary moment and what Peter and John are doing in their everyday life. And I think this, this can relate to you. Um, because I like to look at uh, the story of Scripture. I like to uh, like filter it through characters. Because uh, they're, they're, obviously it's brilliant. It's, it's a brilliant. Luke is a brilliant writer. And he's telling us a story on purpose. But here's my observations. Number one, you want to see miracles in your life show up. This is as brilliant, as, as genius as I can be. I promise you I won't get any smarter than this. Every time I've seen someone experience the miraculous, healings, God doing something amazing, they showed up. They came up for prayer. They didn't sit there. Or they, they actually went to work and something happened. They walked into the, to the coffee shop and something, they showed up. Part one of miracles in your life. You have to show up. And most of the time we're not showing up even when we do show up. Do you know what I'm talking about? We're not here. I'm not here right now. I can't wait for the barbecue after this. You know what I'm saying? Like you get, you get going and you're just, you're like, it's on default mode or, you know, airplane mode. It's just, it's just going, you know, cruise control. That's the word I was looking for. So they showed up. Second, they were open and aware to what God was doing. We live our lives so consumed with ourselves that most of the times we're not walking outside of our house on our normal walks saying, God, would you just bring an interruption today? Walk into that coffee shop. God, how can I bless someone on behalf of you today? How can I speak a word of affirmation to someone who's desperate to know you love them? Can I do that to the barista on your behalf, God? Can I show up to work as a positive presence that's just going to exude joy and give joy away because I just love you? God, is there anyone here that needs healing? That I could pray in faith and see you do what only you can do. And see them come to salvation. God, what are you doing here? And sometimes that openness is being interrupted. Like someone asking for money. You with me? So the next start, uh, phase, as, as far as mir- the miraculous goes, how, how do miracles happen? Is that the disciples, Paul, Peter and John actively participated in what God was doing in that moment. They actively participated. They're interrupted, they're open to what God's doing, and they stared intently. What do you think Peter was looking for? Now I'm speculating here, this is not what the scripture is saying, but this is what, as I read Peter's story, as I understand him as a person, um, what do you think he's looking for? Do you think he's looking for pain? Have you ever looked at someone and saw the pain on their face? You just, you could see despair. Have you ever uh, looked, have you ever seen faith in someone that was desperate to see God move in their life? Have you ever seen that? I'm wondering if, you know, Peter paused and he was recalling all the times he didn't participate with what God was doing. All the times in his life that we have stories that he missed what God was doing. God gives him an opportunity and he didn't go for it. Maybe he recalled um, coming down from the transfiguration. 
right? And, and they couldn't cast out the, the man's demon-possessed son without prayer and fasting. And, and he used the name of Jesus, but it didn't work because he didn't understand that it was about intimacy and doing what Jesus was up to at that moment. And it just didn't work. Maybe he was remembering his lack of faith in that moment when he sank, uh, when Jesus called him onto the water. Or maybe it was the time he remembered that, that there was a man who was calling out to Jesus when Jesus was on his way somewhere else and there was a crowd forming and he was a part of that crowd. Yet this is guy with a hood on, yelling, Son of David, have mercy! Son of David, have mercy! And Peter was the guy with the crowd going, keep that down! It's not about you, it's about him! And Jesus says, bring him to me. What do you want from me? I want to be made well. I want to see. And your faith has saved you. Your faith has healed you. Maybe in that slight moment, Peter was right there. Remembering what Jesus would have done because Jesus was loving. He was the expression of a loving father. He was compassionate. He, compassion, he was moved and, and his stomach was turned to see the broken people of Israel healed. So he says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have is faith in Jesus. It, what they did next is they gave what they had. They had faith. They had an experience with the resurrected Messiah. They knew that Jesus was about this kind of thing. This is what he taught them to do. He showed them how to do this. And so he just steps in and does what Jesus would have done in that moment. Except he doesn't have money to give. What does he have? He has faith. He has the power and authority of Jesus' name. He has love and compassion. He has all this experience. Brothers and sisters, how many times do we not participate in what God's doing in the moment because we think we don't have the resource? Oh, sure, you don't have money to give, but do you have time to listen to their story? Do you have energy to look them in the eyes. I used to do ministry at MacArthur Park in Skid Row in downtown L.A. when I was in college. I was a 19-year-old kid. Um, and we used to go every week. And sometimes I would go by myself. I made bag lunches I never had enough money for and because I didn't work when I was 19. I was on fire for God. Um, but he told me to get a job eventually. My, my girlfriend at the time said, if, if you want to take me serious, you're going to have to have a job. That, that's my wife now. So that worked out. Um, <laughs> I got a job literally the next day. I'm like, I'm going to go find one because I like you. Anyway, here's the point. Went to MacArthur Park, Skid Row. First person I met when we started this ministry, went every week. A guy named Tufari, and he was from Ethiopia. And he was a Muslim, and he was a computer programmer with a master's from San Francisco. Lost his kids and his wife because of a chemical dependency he had on alcohol and drugs. Been in, been in the park for years. Was estranged from his family. I met him, shook his hand. I said, what's your name? My name's Darren. He looked at me, looked through me, and he says, you're the first person to touch me in a year. We became friends, met every week. After months and months of meeting with him, he became a Christian. Took him to the Orange County Rescue Mission. He uh, got off drugs and alcohol, went back to San Francisco, and restored his relationship with his kids and his wife. All because a kid showed up with no money or resource, but the ability to give away friendship and eye contact restoring the dignity of humanity to people. You all have capacity to do that. You all have resources. Some of you have the joy of the Lord. And I, I mean this. Some of you, you hang around people and they just get, they smile. 
It's like that happy song by Pharrell. Like, you just want to dance. You know what I'm talking about? We're not going to play it again, although I would love that. But you just get, some of you pass, you, you have peace in your life. Some of you have lots of money. And you bless people. What is it that you have that you can participate in what God's up to? That's what it means. You want to see miracles? Show up. Be open and aware. Participate. If God leads you somewhere, just go for it. Show, do whatever he's asking and give whatever it is you have. Some of us, and I hope lots of us, will have the faith that we'll see miracles in our lives. I, I hope a season is coming where a generation will be saved because of signs and wonders that point to Jesus. It's not going to because, happen because of this great movement or this, this website or, or something. It's going to happen because people are filled with the Spirit and they're going for it. Peter and John, ordinary people, used to do extraordinary things in their everyday life. Part three, the lame beggar. Let's read this again. Let's look at it through the lens of the beggar. Um, it says this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Man, lame from birth, being carried to beg. When he saw Peter and John, he asked for money. Um, Verse 5, the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Peter says, silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. Okay, so the story of the lame beggar is this. A man who is, who is crippled from birth, he cannot walk, is placed at the temple gate called Beautiful. Now here's a picture of the, uh, the temple courts. So there's a larger temple gate that people can walk in, and there's all this, all this transaction. It's like a marketplace. It's absolutely massive. If you've been to uh, Jerusalem, it's a beautiful sight to see, especially at the time of Herod. This is an amazing sight to see. But if you see the far bottom right, it says in the far right, in the middle, the Gentile courtyard. So there's a Gentile courtyard, the Gentile, God-fearing Jews, Gentile, uh, Gentile Jews, could enter into that place, but they couldn't go any further. The Temple Gate Beautiful is the next part. It's the next entrance into the women's courtyard. Then it goes into the men's courtyard and then into the holy place, okay? The Temple Gate Beautiful is right there, um, right after the Gentile courts. And it says this in Leviticus 21. Let's go to Levit- Leviticus real quick. It says this, according to their laws, no man who has any defect may come near, no man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed, no man with a crippled foot or hand, or who is a hunchback or dwarf, or who has any eye defect can come forward. He has to sit at the gate. He couldn't enter any further. I want you to think about the implications for a moment. First of all, you have social implications. In in the agricultural society that they lived in, and Palestine, uh, around the first century, 90% of Israel in all of Palestine were poor. You worked for a day's wage. So if you couldn't walk or work with manual labor, you didn't eat. So you were a burden socially on your family. They carried you and put you in a place where you had to beg for money. What would that do to your mental state and emotional state? Your identity in scriptures is the lame beggar. What type, what type of self-esteem does this guy have? Imagine the, the way he carries, the shame that he probably doesn't have a spouse. He, the burden he has on his mom and dad from the time he was a baby because he couldn't do what every other kid would do and help the family pay the bills and work 
and take over the family business. He is carried and placed in front of the place of worship where he probably gets discarded looks. Because in that culture, he's seen as a disgrace. His condition is a curse from God from the parents' sins. And then the people are going to worship Yahweh. They're going to worship a God who would send a messenger who would bind up the brokenhearted. Who would set captives free. Who would heal the sick. It says in Isaiah, I think it's 35, that uh, you will, your lame men will, will leap like deer when the Messiah comes. Mental, physical, social, religious, emotional implications. Peter says, Walk. And then he does the brave thing. He reaches out out his hand. But the guy that needs healing reaches out his hand. How many of us are here and we don't even have the courage to say, God, I need you. Someone speaks a word in a gathering. Someone speaks a word and you don't even have the courage to say, that's me. I need that in my life. We can't get pregnant and I need help from the God. I need community to support me. And my, fi- and my fiancé, or, or my wife, hopefully not your fiancé if you're trying to get pregnant. We'll talk about that later. If that's you, repent. Um. <laughs> the courage to reach out his hand. And this is what happens in the story. It says um, that his ankles are strong, and he begins to walk. He begins to walk with the feet that he's never walked on. But then it says he, he begins to jump. Right? Why would a guy jump? They're physically healed. Jumping means emotional healing. And then he begins to praise God. He says he enters the temple courts. He crossed that divide. He was kept outside. Now he's an insider praising God. You want to know what salvation is? For those of you that think it's about going someplace else after you die, no. It's about physical, mental, emotional, social, spiritual healing. Your entire existence being formed in Christ's likeness so that your life is fully alive because you're dead without Jesus. But he turns every capacity you have and wants to make it whole. He wants to birth new life within you. That's why he says you have to be born again. This is the story of Acts. All because some random dudes say yes, but what I have is this. And they stand, and then he has to proclaim that it's all about Jesus. So I don't know why you're here, but I do know some of you need to confess that Jesus is Lord, and he is your salvation. And not just that this is a ticket out of here, but you need to reorient your entire life around him and let him come into your social life, into your mental life, into your emotional life, into your spiritual life, and into your physical life and renew all of it. Some of you are here and you've been Christians for so long and you don't even play this game. And the invitation is God wants to make you do extraordinary things. He wants to empower you to say yes at Starbucks, at your workplace, in your home life. He wants to empower you to see the miracles happen through ordinary ways. And some of you are here and you relate to the lame beggar. And you're just, you're waiting for God to show up. You're waiting for God to release you of your past. To release you of that addiction. To free you from the patterns that cause the conflict in your marriage that has created these hearts that are stone, and you just want God to break the other heart and, and turn it into flesh. Some of you are here and you're just longing for that peace because it's been nothing but chaos and anxiety. And you're longing for God to show up. You relate to social isolation. You relate to spiritual isolation. God, where are you? Why aren't you showing up right now? I don't, I don't know where you are, but we all need something. 
You with me? So this is a story in the one point I have. Jesus is the only name for salvation. Some of us need him. God wants to use you to do extraordinary things. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.